Hello and welcome to News Underground. My name is Anna. Uh, as you know, as you may know, we usually have News Underground Mondays and Wednesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Um, but today, or this week rather, we're doing something a little special uh, where we are interviewing a whole lot of interesting people from the Conference on World Affairs. And um, who I have with me today is Bob Dreyfus. He is an independent journalist. And um, Bob, could you just state your your job, sort of what you do um, for a living, I guess? Yeah, I had a lot of different jobs. I never studied journalism, but, but when I decided I wanted to write, I started writing for magazines about 30 years ago. And um, and uh, I, one by one, found editors that liked me. So I've been writing for a whole bunch of magazines, uh, The Nation magazine, Rolling Stone, uh, Mother Jones magazine, which is based out in San Francisco, um, The New Republic, and, and so forth. And um, you know, I've written a lot of stuff about politics, about stuff in Washington. I've traveled in different places around the world. I've written a lot about uh, national security and defense and intelligence. Um, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and, you know, everything in between, the whole sort of post-9-11 uh, global war on terrorism. So I've, I've done lots of different things, and mostly uh, I'm independent, so I don't work for anybody in particular, but I, you know, write for a lot of different places. And, yeah, I wanted to... I wanted to ask a little about the, uh, the fact that you're independent, you don't work for a, a specific organization. Journalism, I think, is a tough career path to begin with, and I, from what I've heard, independent journalism is more difficult. Um, so how do you sort of keep your head above water while, while working independently? Um, well, it helps to have a wife who has a job, which I do. Um, but it, you're right, it's, I mean, journalism is in trouble. It's, a, it's in crisis, I would say. I would go further than saying it's in trouble. Uh, and it's not just independent journalism, but uh, newspapers are slashing and burning, firing hundreds and hundreds of reporters all across the country. Magazines are doing the same thing um, in a way that helps independent journalism because they don't have any staff anymore, so they need people who are out there. They don't have to pay benefits to them. They don't have to you know, carry them as employees. Um, but um, yes, it's, it's a bad environment, and it's partly a question of supply and demand. I, I can blame the corporations that own these outlets, publications, news, newspapers, magazines, and so forth. But I can also blame the consumers of news because people aren't demanding real, solid, good news anymore. And when I say good, I mean well-reported. Um, they're, they're, the demand uh, has fallen off with social media, with people getting their news from Facebook, um, which, which is fine, but you know it's, it's um, curated, so you only get you know, news basically that you already clicked on, repeated to you. And um, and people don't seek out really good journalism anymore. So, uh, and, and that's been true for a long time. I mean, I remember the days of cameras chasing OJ down the freeway in Los Angeles, you know, and that how that became weeks and weeks on end uh, kind of celebrity news. So, so much news is celebrity-oriented, sensational, um, in politics, you know, people report on Trump's tweets, but they don't report on actual stuff that's happening in the real world. You know, what's happening to people um, 
who's funding our colleges and why not, you know, and why is tuition so high? What's happening with immigrants when they try to cross the border and who are they and why are they coming here? All that kind of detailed reporting where, you know, people need to do the hard work is expensive and and so people don't want to pay for it. The editors and the publishers don't want to pay for that stuff anymore. And yeah, I, this may or may not be related to sort of subpar reporting in our media, just depending on how you think of it. Um, but I know that you reported for The Nation for a while with the Trump-Russia relationship. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of criticism lately, mostly from more conservative people lodged against um, like CNN, MSNBC, mostly like Rachel Maddow for focusing very heavily on this sort of collusion question. And I was wondering if you thought that there was too much of a focus from those outlets on this question of, of collusion or not. Yeah. I, well, first of all, yes, I do think some people went overboard. I think Rachel Maddow maybe, um, you know, pumped it for ratings and went too far on occasion. Um, but I don't look, first of all, at cable news to decide what's being emphasized too much or not enough. I would look, first of all, at you know the top 15 or 20 publications, whether it's the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Los Angeles Times, uh, the Washington Post, um, some of the major news magazines, outlets like the Daily Beast and the Intercept and Huffington Post. I mean, there's a whole series of of publications, both in print and online. Um, and collectively, I would say that the media did a pretty good job on this Trump-Russia story. Um, this is a case in which a presidential candidate and then the president was accused of possibly uh, coordinating with what's now proven to be a Russian effort to affect the outcome of the election in 2016. That's a gigantic story. You can't possibly ignore that. Um, the fact that the report from the Mueller investigation after uh, almost two years has not been released is also a concern. I think people are right, rightfully concerned about the fact that we haven't read what apparently is a 300 to 400 page report that no doubt is going to have a lot of information in it that the public ought to know when they're judging the president and his actions. So I can't, Im I can't remember another story that had that kind of significance. So the fact that every day or every other day the New York Times had something on the front page about this seems exactly right at the same time that the New York Times was, was covering all the other issues that we have to deal with from healthcare and education and the environment to wars overseas and the immigration issue and so many other things, I think they were all covered properly. And I think reporters do uh, a really good job. I, I defend the media on this thing. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I would agree with you on that. Um, and then sort of similar to kind of how the media works and what it reports on, um, I think a lot of the media is largely uh, US-based too. And obviously, you've been to a lot of different countries of like Iran, Vietnam, China, uh, Tanzania. And what do you think the importance is of, of looking at things like, like in one of your panels, you're talking about populism in other countries, um, the alt-right. What do you think the importance is of looking at those things from the perspective of, of not the US? 
Yeah. Well, going back to your original point, it's very difficult to get um, magazines and newspapers and whatever to send reporters overseas. It's expensive, uh, especially ten times more so in a, a war zone like to go to Iraq or during the war or Afghanistan. You, you can't just fly in there and take your notebook and walk around. You have to have driver and security. You have to, I mean, it's a whole big process. It costs many thousands of dollars uh, to do this kind of reporting, and many reporters have been attacked. So from that standpoint, it's necessary um, to, you know, have the proper support and funding and protection. But more generally, I think Americans, much more than Europeans, let's say, or people who live in Asia or Africa um, are inward focused. They're, they're, everything's about the United States. And if you go to Sweden and talk to people, the first thing they'll say, they'll know everybody, everything about who chairs committees in the U.S. Senate. And this is in Sweden. And I couldn't even tell you the name of one Swedish, you know, senator. I mean, so, so I think, you know, taking yourself out of the United States and for most people, they can't do that physically except maybe an occasional vacation. But take uh, reporters can do that, and they can bring people um, to other countries. When I went to Iran a number of times, when, when I would go there, people would say, oh, my goodness, you're going to Iran. Aren't you scared? Uh, it's one of the safest countries in the world. I met the most interesting people there. Um, people are extremely intelligent. They're well aware of everything that's happening in the United States. Um, many of them are opposed to the cover current government of Iran, and they told me so everywhere I met them. Um, it is not a country full of terrorists and people chanting death to America everywhere. It's a normal country where people get up and take their kids to school and go to work in the grocery store and then come home and, you know, cook dinner. And, and so um, that even that basic kind of perspective of what, kind of country is Iran is important for people to understand that it's not um, a place of religious fanatics trying to kill us. Uh, Thomas Erdbrink, who's the New York Times correspondent in uh, Iran, he's actually Dutch, um, had a, uh, like a three or four part, I don't know if it was HBO or some uh, PBS, some TV program in which he took people around Iran and he showed them the real Iran. Th that's incredibly valuable to me, the next time, you know, somebody says, we need to bomb Iran or something, you, you have to think about the people that live there and what their life's like and, and who they are and, you know, maybe gain some perspective on things like that. And um, I assume a lot of this will be sort of in the same vein, but um, if it has, which I assume it has, how has being in other countries and reporting from other countries sort of helped you in your reporting? I, I, I can't separate myself from the person I was before I went to these countries, mm -hmm. but it's such an essential part of how I think. Um, I, th I think I've been to China now three times. Uh, until you see for yourself the incredible economic progress and development and modernization of that country, um, y you know, you can't imagine it. You have to really see it. When I was in Shanghai, I took the train to the airport. Um, it's a maglev train. It floats on, you know, magnetic um, opposition above the track, floats in the air, literally, and it travels 275 miles an hour 
425 kilometers an hour um, from downtown Shanghai to the airport, which is like 30 miles away. Um, there's nothing in the United States even like that. Um, the Chinese regular trains go 180 miles an hour from Beijing to Shanghai or whatever. Um, the skyscrapers, the amount of vast acres of uh, housing that's been built almost overnight in the last 20, 25 years. Um, you have to see that for yourself to understand when somebody says the word China that it isn't a country of people pushing, you know, um, uh, oxen behind plows and and uh, sitting in huts with dirt floors, although there's still some of that, of course, in rural areas of China. Um, but literally hundreds of millions of people have moved from that into the cities, um, into a m almost middle-class you know, style of life. Um, on the other hand, going to a place like Tanzania, you do see the lack of progress, the unbelievable um, level of subsistence living that you know millions of people live in as climate change you know dries up their farms and people have to move away and can't grow crops and are scratching out a living in dusty farms and and so over the that's something you have to either see for yourself or if you can't go there to read about it from a reporter who's been there and who can explain you know the problems of economic growth in a country like Tanzania that doesn't have, like China does, the infrastructure, the educated population, the ports and harbors and railroads and electric and water and sewer systems that China has. It's a, it's a very poor country, and so nobody's investing there. Everybody's investing in China. Um, so, yeah, you do need to see these places for yourself, I think. Yeah, and um, going back to sort of you mentioned how, how journalism is so expensive there's a lot of problems with it right now problems might be an understatement um, but it's also dangerous um, there's a panel called uh, on Friday that you're going to be a part of called attacked jailed expelled and killed the hazards of international journalism uh, it talks about the 34 journalists that um, were killed or were targeted in 2018 mm -hmm. and um, I know that journalists too have been, you know, repeatedly criticized by the White House, and it's just a generally difficult time. And I, for me, part of the reason that, you know, it's still worth it to pursue journalism is what you were talking about, um, like going to different nations and, and learning about the world and sort of growing personally from that. Um, but what would you say your reason is for sort of, I guess, trucking on in journalism despite? all of these setbacks? Well, you know, I, I, I became a journalist because late, l later in life, actually, after I had some other jobs, um, because I wanted to tell these stories. I thought it was important to tell people about um, what was happening inside their own government in Washington and what was happening around the world. And, and I, you know, considered myself kind of a, a person with a mission to do that. Um, but on the personal side of it, it's it's fun and fascinating. You know, you you can grow up and be get a job as the assistant manager of operations for a mid-level company that manufactures tires, and probably make a decent living. Um, but as a journalist, you get to talk to famous people. You can you know you can do sports journalism and interview 
um, you know, Magic Johnson or uh, Brett Bryce Harper. You can be an entertainment journalism and interview movie stars. You can be a political journalist and interview senators and presidential candidates and and presidents of other countries and visit those countries. And it's a, it's a fascinating life, and you get to learn a lot of things. And as long as you're not intimidated, as long as you don't let these people kind of scare you into forgetting that you have, you know, an opinion, um, it's kind of fun to challenge them and to dig deep into the kind of the ugly underside sometimes of, of politics and government and find examples of corruption and mismanagement and, you know, stupidity and mistakes. Um and expose it and tell people it's I, I enjoy it it's fun yeah and um on the on the topic of opinions i guess um you are a member of the democratic socialists of america um you said that in 2020 you'll either support warren brown or sanders um and i was curious specifically about uh sanders bernie sanders i know that he kind of earned his, I guess you could say, celebrity status in 2016, hmm. um, starting, you know, a socialist revolution and all that. Um, but in now, in 2019, there are a lot of new uh, fresh faces in, in leftism, like Beto O'Rourke, for example. So do you think Sanders would still be, the, or why, I guess, do you think Sanders would still be um, a good choice for the U.S. in 2020 with all of these yeah. younger, newer I, I like people. what Sanders, you know, has said and stands for about uh, expanding health care coverage, about uh, raising the minimum wage, about reducing the, the, the cost of college, about uh, strengthening labor unions, all those kind of things are things I believe in, too. I don't know whether Sanders will be the candidate or whether he'll emerge from this complicated overpacked primary, you know, two dozen Democrats, it looks like it's going to be uh, ultimately running. Um, I, maybe I, I'm, I'm concerned that he's old. I don't know if he can beat Trump. I don't know any of those things. I, 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 I think that um, the primary is going to be like a meat grinder machine. Uh, all these candidates are going to be fed into it, and something is going to come out the other end, and I think, I hope it'll produce a strong candidate, someone who survives uh, all of that. And I would, it's hard to make any even beginning of a prediction. Um, I, I, I think that Sanders and Warren, uh, I think uh, Kamala Harris, uh, of course Joe Biden, um, and, and maybe a couple of others, you know, are going to be the front runners. And a lot of, there's a whole slew of secondary candidates who are going to get no place fast and drop out after either before the primaries start or if they can't raise money or soon afterwards when they get 1% of the vote or something. Um, so I think it'll get winnowed down pretty quick. So I don't know. Um, I do think that what the election in 2018 showed us was that uh, that was kind of a referendum on Trump and that's going to be true doubly so next year. Um, and so as long as the Democrats don't, you know, put up a, a wounded goat as the candidate, I think people will c favorably compare that candidate to Trump. Um, but it's going to be a fight, and there's still a real strong core of people who believe that he's making America great again and uh, all of that. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be 
a really important election, I think, for the future of the country. And um, finally, is there anything else you'd like to add or plug about your panels or about your work or anything that you haven't already mentioned? No, but if you're in town, you should come down to CWA. It goes on through Saturday. And there's literally, you can find it online, there's literally a panel about anything you could possibly be interested in, whether it's women's rights or race and immigration or climate change or the arts and music and dance, uh, storytelling, um, you know, all sorts of creative stuff, stuff with entrepreneurs. Um, there's so many panels happening all at once that it's just kind of a fun place to see a lot of energy happen. So, yeah, come on down. Yeah, thank you so much. Whoop. Okay, so um, that was Bob Dreyfus, independent journalist um, for News Underground. Again, we have our show uh, 6 p.m. Monday and 6 p.m. Wednesday, usually. This week is a little is a little wonky, but that's usually when our, we have our show. And uh, we will resume to music now for your listening pleasure. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>